Welcome to the final edition of the Weekend Update for the 22-23 regular season. Uh, it's been an amazing season thus far for the Weekend Update, our very first year uh, doing this weekly show. And I'm your host, Will Walker, and I'll join for the final time of this season to the Weekend Update. John Kraft, what's up? Hey, it's going well. You know, it's it's uh, we got a lot of big podcasts in our future, so just want to let you know I might just I might participate in the first half, but then just sit the second half of this podcast out. You know, and that's what the Grizzlies did today, and we're going to get into that game. Um, but just a programming note: uh, while this is the final official weekend update. The reason why it's the final is because the playoffs are coming up and we're going to be releasing a lot more content ahead um, and much more to come on that. So excited for this playoff run. Uh, but first, let's get started with the Grizzlies record. They are 49 and 29 as of our recording, which is Sunday night. Second in the Western Conference, fifth in the NBA Offensive rating, 114.6. That's good for 11th per NBA.com. Defensive rating, 110.2. That's good for second. Net rating at 4.4. That is fourth overall in the league. Point differential per cleaning the glass is at 5.5. And that is third in the NBA. Uh, We are going to start this podcast off with some optimistic news. John, you want to kick us off there? Yeah, so uh, we've been trying to hear some... Uh, we've been waiting on some news about Stephen Adams. We were supposed to, we were told about April 1st to get some kind of update. And so there's been a couple things. The the first one, the more official was that it was announced today that the Grizzlies are going to do an MRI on Stephen Adams knee here in the next couple days. And if that looks good, they're going to begin ramping him up towards playing. Um, maybe let him, you know, maybe, Maybe get him out there for one one game or something before the playoffs. We'd love to get him kind of one regular season warm up, but uh, but that's really exciting. Uh, a lot of people uh, speculating the uh, the the odds um, uh, went up in our favor uh, for like winning the West for for title and other things, and which is kind of weird because nothing really else has changed. So a lot of people are speculating that the Stephen Adams news uh, has kind of hit Vegas. So I don't know. I think there's other things too that you could throw in there, but but overall, the exciting thing is it looks like we're you know that that Stephen Adams feels good and that they're just going to make sure uh, with the MRI that there's nothing you know super worrisome and that he can play you know on it. And so so that's exciting news. We've been wanting Stephen Adams back. We've been forever wanting our actual starting five playing games together. Uh, our theoretical, it seems like starting five. So that's really good news. Um, you know, and hopefully, hopefully the MRI will be great. Um, and, uh, we can hear about Steven Adams getting ready to come back. Yeah. And for me personally, I, I kind of always assumed this was going to be the case. I'm glad it's finally confirmed. Um, of course, all we know confirmation wise is that he's getting an MRI. So let's hope they don't see anything else, but I fully expect to see Steve-O out there in time for the playoffs, the the Grizzlies have always been an organization that exercises caution in these situations, and they obviously know how important Stephen Adams is. And um, I'd never heard the language of setback. I feel like, for instance, like Zion Williamson, I feel like has you know suffered 
many setbacks to injuries in his career, and that's how the PR is uh, around it. But this didn't ever feel like that to me. It, it's, it seemed very strategic in the timing that they, they put on the this uh, second sort of phase of his injury, which was right in line with the regular season ending. So hopefully our speculation actually comes to bear and we'll, we'll have Steven Adams out there. Yeah, and, and my, you know, I, I kind of, my hope, my optimism says that if the Grizzlies were a little more 50-50 on the MRI, they wouldn't have let that report get out. And so it makes me feel like they feel uh, pretty positive that, that, that it's not going to be of any concern. Yep. Um, in other news, a CBA was agreed upon by the owners and the Players Association, which is huge news. It means that for the Grizzlies in, in this important um, time frame where they're just starting to, I would say, uh, enter their their contention phase with this group, which is very exciting, there's nothing that would have killed momentum like an entire work stoppage for the league. I'm glad that we're not at that point. And with this new CBA, there's, a, there's really, I mean, more that – seems to be coming out every hour about what's inside of this. And I'm sure at some point soon, once it's ratified, it'll be released for people to see in full. Until then, we do have some some specific points we want to talk through. And we're not going to do that now. We're actually going to do that in the second half of the podcast, unpack some of the exciting developments from the CBA and give you, you our reactions to uh, a few of the, especially the big ticket items and the ones that could apply to the Grizzlies, um, you know, maybe not this year, but in the years to come through their window of contention. So big deal for the NBA. There will not be a work stoppage, and this CBA is going to run through for the next seven seasons. And so um, that's a pretty good window. All right, before we get to anything else, the Grizzlies earlier today suffered a loss against the Chicago Bulls, 128-107. to Both Kraft and I had an event to go to that took us away from watching the second half live. Uh, And when we left, the Grizzlies were were up. Uh, Vibes were great. We couldn't miss a three. And I was already moving on. I was like, okay, great. I'm so glad we don't have to worry about this one. We're just going to jump on, record afterwards. We're going to talk about a win and move on to, you know, bigger picture topics. But the Grizzlies and Bulls had other plans. Uh, The Grizzlies scoring... 16 points in the third quarter, 23 points in the fourth. Conversely, the Bulls scoring 40 points in the third quarter and uh, 35 in the fourth. Um, Bulls having 31 points off turnovers, the Grizzlies having zero. It was just a tale of two halves um, if you've ever seen one. And the Grizzlies fall. I will say a bit of context, and we'll probably talk about this a little bit more throughout the pod. The Kings gave us a gift. Uh, here, losing to the Spurs. So really this loss doesn't sting as much as it would have if we if we had recorded, you know, even an hour ago. But Kraft, what do you think overall about this loss, especially as it relates uh, to, you know, the Grizzlies' standings as we're moving down the stretch here? Yeah, it's so weird um, that it's, it's very strange to me how the halves were so different. Um, I mean, I think there was a little bit of shot variance. Obviously, we were shooting really well. The Bulls were missing some of their typical mid-range jumpers that some of their players hit. Um, but, you know, I felt like we were looking like ourselves, playing good defense, contesting shots, 
uh, you know, moving the ball around really well. And so it's really surprising how, how much it changed. I think that a couple of things, one was, I will say that even though the vibes were very good going into halftime, uh, I was a little upset that we kind of gave them a little bit of hope there at the end. We've seen a couple of our big comebacks where we're down 16, 17, and then like all of a sudden it's only like 10 or 11, right, going into the half. And, and I felt like we're going into the fourth quarter, let's say. And I felt like that was a little bit that, you know, that we were, that we were up by over 20 for a while, and then, but actually went into half only up, I think, 15. Um, and I felt like that was bad and kind of, and I think rushed, like did, went for a two-for-one and really a two-for-one wasn't there. Uh, which kind of frustrated me. It, I know it frustrated Brevin too on the broadcast. So, so that was that was a couple of things. But yeah, I just think at the end of the day, you know, uh, you're showing you know number two in defensive efficiency. Clean glass has us number one right now. Eking, you know, we're we're always fighting it out with Milwaukee and Cleveland, but number one in the West at least. And uh, but like you know, if you turn the ball over and they get a fast break point, you don't really get to set up your number one defense. They get to score a will. And it just seemed like we had a lot of careless ter- turnovers. Um, you know, I think that Grizz Twitter is going to – I feel like the narratives have already gotten going. One, uh, like, here we go. We're terrible on the road. We're a terrible road team. Uh, you know, that's going to be so bad for us in the playoffs, which, of course, I say, well, not until the Western Conference Finals. If we can hold on to the two seed, you know, we, we all we have to do is win at home. But uh, but I do think there's a little bit of that. I mean, there was definitely – it felt like all our role guys, once again, um, played – kind of mediocre, especially bad in the second half. And and so that was one thing that stood out. Um, another thing was some very curious lineups. I mean, that's my one big criticism of, of Taylor Jenkins is his kind of love for the Tyus Jaw lineup, something that I'm also a little nervous about. I know that it worked for us a little bit in the Minnesota Timberwolves series, but I feel like that was very matchup dependent. But I mean, it is like when you look at our two-man lineups, I think like Fast Break Breakfast put that out on Twitter again. It is like every two-person lineup in our main rotation is great, except for one. And that's when John and Tyus play together. And so I was very frustrated with that as well. But those are a couple of the things I blame. And then finally, just the last one is just, it's weird. You know, Spurs uh, beating the, the, the Sacramento Kings. Uh, you look around the league, there's just, the final week of the season, you're just going to have some weird... Uh, very weird uh, outcomes. So I, I don't. I, people are going to put all their narratives on it. I just feel like it was a game. It was unfortunate, and I just want to dwell on how good we looked in the first half. <laughs> yeah, and to your point, there there shouldn't. I don't think there should be a ton drawn from this because also if you were to watch the game itself, the final score doesn't tell the story. Um, it was a one 101-104 game with like six minutes left and just a couple bad turnovers. The Bulls finally hit a few threes in a row and they they blew this lead open. And I think after that, I think there was a lot of kind of mailing it in, save your energy. There's going to be a lot made of the Jaron Jackson fouls. He still played 30 minutes tonight, had 31 points. I don't, I'm not as worried about that because he did, I mean, he had a, a bad foul call at the very end. Luckily, we won a challenge, and he was able to stay in for the remainder. Um, I thought this was a, an especially poor jaw game overall. He had a triple double, and this this should, this should be the poster child of triple doubles. Don't right. are not all created equal. And um, I wrote I w- I looked back at the six games that Jaws played 
since he returned from the suspension. He's 5 for 24 from 3. And that, to me, is very concerning going into the playoffs because if you're playing if you're playing the Grizzlies, my game plan, and I've always said this, especially on this podcast, I'm going to pack the paint. I'm going to make, make you beat um, make the Grizzlies beat me from the outside. And they did add Luke Kennard, who in his terms had a pretty poor game as well. Two for seven, didn't add much elsewhere. Um, from Two for seven from three, by the way. Bain has been, you know, amazing. Uh, he has versatility now to his offensive game that he hasn't had in seasons past. And I, I trust him to make the right play more often than not. But, with a Morant-led team, when he's going to have the usage that he's going to have, he has to be able to shoot at least average from three, which is around 35%. And so far, he's a tick under 20%, like I said. So this is not this is concerning overall for me. I do think Morant's the type of guy we've seen him turn it on in big moments. Mm-hmm. I think that he's going to use his leverage to his advantage because that should be the game plan of teams is to shut him down and make other people um, beat you. So just wanted to mention that. Uh, but again, I'm not taking a t- too much away from this game. I thought we showed what we can do when we're hitting shots in the first half. Uh, we also showed that we're prone to turnovers, which uh, against a, an opponent, not like the Bulls who aren't as good defensively, which a lot of Western Conference teams are not as good defensively as the Bulls, I would be less concerned. Um, so... And again, too, very late in the season, one-off road trip. You're back at home on Tuesday. These historically have not gone the Grizzlies' way every time. Yeah, so. yeah. I mentioned in the, I think the the podcast we did in the middle of the week with Tyne Brantley. I mentioned that that was beginning. That was the one kind of critique that Josh seems like he's back to himself in a lot of ways. That's the one where I feel like whether it's wind and he just hadn't gotten his legs under him, whether it's just the timing. And just getting the feel back, that's been the biggest difference, you know, because I mean, he's not, again, he's not, he's not Luke Kennard, he's not Bain, but he's usually about average. And that's my, my biggest hope with the, with the five day break. Um, and, you know, and hopefully if we can clinch his two seed, it might be a little bit longer that he just gets in the gym, gets that three point shot because, you know, uh, when he gets a lot of rest, like he did at the beginning, you know, coming into the season, he was really shooting well. And I would hope that if he gets his legs under him, get kind of works on a shot a little bit, has a few days, that uh, that that shot can get improved. Because it is that is going to be the game plan with him in the game. Uh, that you know, people are going to just pack the paint, go under screens, and uh, so hopefully, hopefully that that'll go back. It will regress back to the average. Yep. Uh, let's talk a little bit. Okay, this is funny. Speaking of the podcast that you guys recorded, which is awesome, by the way, you should go back and listen to it because it's a it's a really good framing for the Western potential Western Conference opponents in the first round of the playoffs. And you guys ranked six teams that were around the area. And one thing that I was going to say after listening was, you know, you y'all never talked about Dallas because technically they were eligible, but <laughs> after tonight. The Mavericks fall to the Hawks, are now a full game back, a game and a half back of the Thunder. And uh, the Thunder also hold the tie break over them were they to tie in the standing. So really, they are all, they are so close to being mathematically eliminated from the play-in. And luckily, I think six teams really is the true number. Their, their tragic number, which, is, which I think is funny, people are starting to throw out tragic numbers, is two. 
So that, I mean, that's, that's tough. That means they have to, you know, between their wins and I guess the Thunder uh, wins, you know, so it's, it's tough. I mean, they can only, they can't really lose anymore and they need the Thunder to lose some. So they're, they're in trouble big time. Um, just to look at the standings, which I think would be good to go uh, down uh, quickly in the Western Conference, the Nuggets are sitting at 51 and 26. The Grizzlies are two and a half games behind them at 49 and 29. And no games being played tomorrow. Uh, we have the College Basketball National Championship. So, um, you know, cool move the NBA there. Give give uh, some the college game some shine. And then uh, right now, 538 has the Grizzlies projected as 51 uh, and 30, I believe. No, 51 and 31, excuse me. And then the Kings are uh, projected to be at 49 wins. So 538, the analytics site, is projecting that the Grizzlies are going to maintain their two-game lead with four games left. Now, let's look at the schedule. The Grizzlies play the Trailblazers at home on Tuesday night. They then have their final back-to-back of the season at New Orleans. Um, So, by the way, Trailblazers' last home game. So if you're looking to catch the Grizzlies before the playoffs, this is your last opportunity on Tuesday night at 7 o'clock. And uh, like I said, New Orleans the next night. Then they're traveling to Milwaukee for a Friday night game. And then the final game of the season on Easter Sunday, 2.30 p.m. at Oklahoma City. That game could mean more, a lot more for Oklahoma City than it, it could for the Grizzlies. So we're not sure how it's going to shake out there in terms of you know, which players are going to play. My guess is you're going to see a lot of Kennedy Chandler and, and Kenny Lofton. It'll also uh, be you know the last opportunity for Kenny Lofton to, to play unless we see something uh, very unexpected, which would be him getting upgraded to the main roster. They would have to cut somebody in order to do that. But just as a reminder, if uh, Vince Williams and Kenny Lofton are on two-way contracts, which means they are ineligible to play in the playoffs, um, unfortunately. Uh, so that's where, that's where things are looking. The Kings have about the same strength of schedule as we do. So I, I think with their loss against the Spurs today, I'm feeling confident. Craft. I'm feeling confident about the two seed here, and then you have a pretty steep drop off to the four seed, which is the Suns, and on down. Right now, as it's looking, four or five is Suns Warriors. Uh, Clippers are in the six. They have a tough schedule though uh, remaining. Pelicans and Lakers in the seven and eight seeds. So if the season ended today, we would be playing the winner of the Pelicans and Lakers in the uh, in the first yeah. play-in round. So how do you, how are you feeling about? where the Grizzlies are as well as the rest of the Western conference. And who are you, who are you looking ahead to, to really keep your eyes on as the season finishes? Yeah. I mean, it looks like I know right now the, as we're recording golden state is up on Denver and Denver's not, they were resting Jokic. So you would expect barring, um, I believe they're resting Jokic anyway. So barring something you would expect the warriors to possibly pull this out, which I think secures that four or five. A lot of people had, thought that there'd be, uh, as people call them, shenanigans with the Warriors trying to drop to six. But it looks like they're they're going full steam into the five. So so it'll be interesting to see what happens because I do think through the six through nines muddled, I was utterly shocked by the T-Wolves losing to the – you know, it's like you – we, you know, all, on the podcast, all of us picked the T-Wolves as the team we would not want to play. And since doing that, the T-Wolves have looked very suspect, especially losing – to a Blazers team that does not want to win any games. So 
I, you know, and obviously they lost Nas Reed um, after we recorded that podcast. So I, so it's, at this point, you know, I'm feeling, and I, I told them, even though the, that the T-Wolves were the number one team, that I still gave us a 90% shot of beating them. So, uh, so you know, for me, uh, shocker, I'm going to be very optimistic whoever we play in the first round. But it does look like, it does feel like the Lakers are kind of the team of destiny with us right now. But I don't know. Maybe, honestly, it feels like the Wednesday game between the Lakers and the Clippers uh, might be the game that determines who we play if we hold on to the two seed. Um, because that'll be kind of the, the team that, that drops down into that seven seed. And it's, you assume they win at home. So I don't know. But, I mean, I'm, I feel pretty confident about all, all of these games. But, obviously, with the Lakers, you just their upside is really, really high if that ends up being the team we play. You've been pretty bullish on our matchup against the Clippers. How did you feel after seeing the two games that we played them this past week? Yeah, so I mean, I feel like I'm still pretty bullish. I mean, obviously, the weirdness um, of Kawhi, Kawhi only playing a half. Um, basically, the Grizzlies did a Kawhi impression today against the Bulls um, by like basically, I don't know what we did today this half. So that's the weirdest thing I think I've ever seen. People talk about load management, but literally saying playing a first half and saying, you know what, I'm going to sit the second half out so that I can play the back to back tomorrow. Uh, it's so weird, you know. And again, they lost and they lost the Pelicans um, in that game. I just feel like Paul George isn't going to play. Seems pretty honest now. And uh, the fact that kind of our our G League team plus a couple people almost beat them when Russell Westbrook and Covington went tw- uh, thirteen for thirteen from three. Uh, I just I feel pretty good about our our matchup with them. I mean, I think the Tyloo is is a good coach about adjustments. He is going to find our weaknesses and try to take advantage of them. I just think we just have a better talent than them, you know, and, and Kawhi is great, but then I think we have three great core players that are better than anybody else on their team. And I just think ultimately, you know, and especially if we get Adams back, which kind of takes away the Zubach problem, I, I would feel, I, I definitely still feel my sweep. If we have Adams, I'm still going to be predicting sweep against the Clippers. I feel pretty confident. It was a weird night all around uh, with the weather stuff and then Kawhi not playing. And I love how he was getting credit for playing in his first back-to-back in like, you know, like five years. And meanwhile, no one's talking about the fact that he didn't play half the first game. So it's like the Mm -hmm. first game of the back-to-back. It's really, I mean, he played, I don't even know how much, how many minutes he played today. Um, In that, so or not today. Whenever they played the Pelicans, maybe yesterday. You know, I will say, watching that that third quarter today felt a little. It's different. It wasn't like quite the turns, but it felt like the first quarter of that of that Friday Clippers game. That was one of the. You know, I think I think you said like one of the worst quarters we played uh, all year, and it felt like we like one up that by this third quarter. And so it's hard to say. Like, is this trends? Is this man? It's the end of the year. Our team is probably really geared up for the playoffs. I think they kind of feel like we can coast into the two seeds. So it's hard to know, but you know, but that's so for me, like my concern is more just us and are we being ourselves or are we kind of, kind of coasting more so than the Clippers? I don't think, uh, I don't think that win had really anything to do with just the Clippers having this crazy good night and us playing a lot of our, 10 through 15 players. And then, and then Friday night, I think was a more normal outcome where I didn't even feel like we played that well and we beat them pretty easily. So. Yeah. I think to me, the, the two biggest questions going into the playoffs, how's jaw 
And is he, do we feel like he's at the peak of his powers and ready to go? And number two, is Adams going to be himself? And so if those two questions, and, and ironically, those two guys play so well off of each other, I wouldn't be shocked if Steven Adams comes back and that also correlates with a John Morant um, that we're, we've come used to seeing. Just because Ja relies so heavily on the space that Adams creates in the right. paint and um, just the just the angles, the inches, that's that's where he thrives. And so I'm very much like you said, I'm, I'm not as concerned if we can get one more game here uh, of separation or even a half game between the Kings and the Grizzlies. The rest of the season to me is just, you know, let's try stuff. Let's let's just make sure we're staying in a rhythm avoid injury, and let's get to the end of the season. So that's kind of where we're at. The Spurs beating the Kings really helped um, calm some of those uh, maybe – it could end up saving us, you know, at least 30 to 40 minutes of playing time for our our stars. So thank you, Kings. Thank you, Greg Popovich. Uh, And it does feel like the at-Bucks game coming up. Like, I I think we would love to be able to rest our starters – uh, we'd love to rest uh, our players against the Bucks, but I definitely think the Bucks will be resting because I think they're pretty close to having the one seed locked up. I think um, so. So that's the hope is that that maybe can be you know a win, you know, or an easier game for us, and then we're just totally sitting out the last game of the year. So I actually think the the, the Grizzlies wouldn't mind seeing the Thunder get up in the play in anyway. <laughs> so you know. So anyway, but you know, we'll see. I mean, I definitely think. I think, I think if we come out and are weird against the Blazers, I think that will, especially after the way we ended that Bulls game, I think that will bother me if we don't come out and give a pretty good, strong effort against the Blazers for our last home game. It feels like that should be a that should be a game that we win pretty easily and that we look good doing it, too. Agreed. All right, let's get into some CBA talk. So uh, this is this is some really fun stuff to go through. Because it's, it really is going to change the landscape of how teams uh, build uh, personnel-wise. It's going to change. There, you can see the, the incentives that both sides are trying to um, push the game to. And you can also see some of the things that, or especially one thing in particular, that did not get voted into the CBA, which we'll discuss in a minute, um, but yeah, what we're going to do here is we're going to run through all that we do know about the new CBA and give some brief takes on each line. And as more information comes out, we'll probably have a larger podcast dedicated to this in the off season, so that we can fully digest how the league is going to look moving forward for the next seven years. And as I said, through season 2029, 2030, the league can opt out one year ahead of time, kind of like they did this go around in order to negotiate a new CBA. But what was not included, and we'll start with that, is the NBA did not lower its minimum age requirement. Um, right now it's at 19. You have to have at least one full year out of high school. And there was talk about lowering that minimum age to 18 to allow for um, – essentially wiping out the one-and-done era of college and letting players go directly to the league. Um, my take on this, and Kraft, you had another good point as well when we were talking about this, was the 
I think that with the investment in G League Ignite in that G League program, as well as other larger programs like Overtime Elite, there have been relationships made with, let's just say, college alternatives to uh, basketball and to, to basically draft prep for these players where they can actually get compensated while they're in these programs. And so the urgency to make this happen from, I would say, like a like more of a moral standpoint was not there as much since there are options for these players who are performing at, let's say, a higher level than college. Um, but you had another good point as well. What was that, Croft? Yeah, so I was saying that, um, you know, that I was going to – I was I'm always surprised when I hear from the player's side that they're looking at the one-and-done rule because, for me – I don't know why if I'm one of the if I'm one of the 450 players in the NBA, uh, why I would want uh, you know a whole do like basically be able to lose my job to an 18 year old faster. Um, I think, uh, and also I think if I'm an NBA player, I would also say if I'm going to lose my job, I want it to be to like a more sure thing, and and that's and that's part of why I've always kind of I mean I don't know if I like the one and done rule, but I was very. Like I living through the the late '90s, early 2000s, when they were letting these players go straight to the NBA, and obviously we had LeBron, we have Kobe, we have all these players that people talk about. But I remember like the Kwame Browns and and other players who, you know, if you're if you're franchise, you know, we you know we have some franchise now, like who just went through the lottery, you know, who are basically dependent on the lottery, and then you get a top three four pick, and then you pick an 18 year old who does not pan out, it's just crushing to your franchise, I think. And and the worst part is you still have to wait. Like you wait for a while before kind of knowing. And I just think it's much better for uh, for NBA players to not lose uh, slots, for good players to lose slots to 18-year-olds just on potential. And then I also think that – I think it's better for franchises to give everybody one more year of maturity – before making a selection. I know that every now and then there becomes this once in a lifetime star. And I think obviously this year, a lot of people think that we have one of those, but, um, you know, I, I just think that it's better. Let that star go out there in an, you know, in a league that's professional or in a college basketball tournament and make some, you know, make, make himself sort of known and it gets people more excited. You know, it gets like people are are way more excited about whoever drafts Victor Wimbayana now than they would have been if he was drafted last, you know, last summer. And also, I just I think the NBA does a poor job of marketing young players anyway. So for me, letting letting these other leagues, letting the NCAA market players for you, I think uh, is a better alternative anyway. So I'm glad I'm personally kind of glad they didn't do it even, and especially now that you talk about the fairness. And the fact yeah. that there isn't kind of this moral issue with sort of forcing players to go to college when they don't really want to and things like that, because they have plenty of alternatives now. Yeah. And also, I have to imagine teams that are scouting would not want to have to add to their staffs unnecessarily to then scour the entire world for now players that are playing at, you know, high schools, different programs around. I mean, to to say like that one year could cost teams you know up upwards of hundreds of thousands of dollars in just like pure travel and scouts mm-hmm. to to get the, that valuable information on whether they should draft them. So this yeah. seems like a mutual um, kind of handshake here for for the uh, for the owners and the and the players association. Um, let's get into some of the big updates. So 
Um, one of the things that we had heard discussed was the a a let's say an upper spending cap for the entire league. So basically, teams would have a specific dollar amount that would be set, and you cannot for under any circumstances surpass that amount. And what we saw was a compromise in this area. So what they did was they implemented a second salary tax apron, which is $17.5 million over whatever the tax line is. And so if you're unfamiliar, teams can spend over the salary cap in the NBA, but there are penalties attached if you go over the salary tax line. And the tax line is set by a formula every year. And so any dollar you spend over a tax line means you have to pay in penalties to the league, which then get distributed around to the other teams that did not pay tax in that season. And so what they've done is they've compromised with this, with this secondary line where, like I said, $17.5 million over the tax line. If teams hit this line, they will lose their, this ability to have a, a taxpayer mid-level exception. So teams like the Warriors used this this specific exception to sign Dante DiVincenzo, who is a very solid rotation NBA player. And the thinking is, if you're that far above the salary cap, you shouldn't have this exception to then sign a a player at DiVincenzo's level. Um, You can also uh, not trade a first-round pick that's seven years out. You cannot, if if you pass this line, you cannot send cash in trades and you cannot sign buyouts buyout uh, players, and you can also not uh, take in more money than you're sending out in a trade. So this is a, uh, I think, could have heavy ramifications on high-spending teams because some of the, I would say, loopholes are, are now have now been plugged. And we're going to see, I think, we're going to see these teams being smarter about their, their finances moving forward as a result. At least that's my take on it. No, I agree. I mean, I, I think I agree with everything you said. I mean, it's it's interesting because I don't uh, – thinking through the Grizzlies, I mean, I do think that we're approaching a, a season where we are probably going to be a tax-paying team. And so that kind of like slightly concerned me. But at the same time, I would be – it seems high enough to where I'd be pretty shocked, uh, even though Parrot is very wealthy. I would be really shocked if, you know, we went into the tax to that degree. So, so, you know, so hopefully I don't think that will affect the Grizzlies in, in any major way. Because I don't think we would ever get that high in the tax. Um, but it is inter- But I do think it's interesting in that I think it's a, it is something that big market teams can't take advantage, like the Warriors, like the Knicks or other teams, uh, or even the Lakers. Uh, although they, they're a little str- – they struggle a little bit more with going to the tax these days. But it does seem like that's going to be a limit on, you know, teams just being able to spend and spend and spend and spend and spend. So yep. it does feel like it's going to be a limit on big market teams, and it's going to make it harder to have. I mean, I think the two or three titles in a row type team is going to be tougher uh, with that as well. Yeah, because eventually all of them are going to want to get paid a lot, and then you're going to have to start making some really hard choices. Yeah, and 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 honestly, to me, this benefits more the teams that are more homegrown. So mm-hmm. to so when you're when you're looking at signing, a lot of these exceptions are due to um, a team's ability to 
or basically the exceptions are there so that a team can sign more free agents rather than extend the ones they already have. And so it really does, I would say, incentivize teams to yeah. to grow through the draft, to build um, organically, and it's it's trying to make buying championships a lot harder, really, I think is the moral of the story. Yeah, and, and I do think, you know, and, and part of it is I also think that um, – there's, I mean, and this this could be a long conversation for another podcast, but there's a lot of talk about the NBA and its ratings being a little down and and other things. And I, I really do, despite the really high ratings for those Cavs Warriors series at the time, I do think the the Warriors them getting having so many stars and Hall of Famers on their team because of a weird salary cap spike and and all this. I do think this is also the owners and the players saying, you know what, this was actually bad for our league to have this kind of dominant team for two or three years. And, uh, and and I think that's where, you know, because people talk about the Warriors, they were a great team. They were a fun team. They were awesome team when they were homegrown. But as soon as then they signed Kevin Durant, they, they began to be feel like a super team, like the other ones that have, you know, kind of honestly, a lot of them failed. Uh, and so, so I do like that. I mean, cause I, I do think that's obviously the Grizzlies are probably never going to have any, any success, but, a homegrown success. So, yeah, uh, let's get a few out of the way that might be boring to to listeners. We we as uh, NBA nerds love this stuff, but the luxury tax brackets are going to increase with the percentage of the cap increase. This is long overdue because right now they're just like set amounts. Um, I think the first one is like five five million. If you're X amount over that, um, you're going to get you know a certain penalty. But really, this this makes it a lot more sense as the cap is going to continue to grow. Speaking of the cap growing, we're going to see cap smoothing, which is limited to 10% increase year over year. If you remember when Kevin Durant joined the Warriors, it was because the salary cap increased $30 million in one season as a result of the new TV deal. And what they're doing here is they're saying the salary cap can only increase up to 10% year over year, despite the, uh, the increase in, let's just say revenue overall. Um, there's a couple of increases to some exceptions as well. The mid-level exception, 7.5% increase, and then a 30% increase to a room exception. Um, any thoughts about those? Yeah, I mean, the, the one thing, just the cap smoothing, I think that, that, was, that was a really huge mistake that the league made when they uh, didn't press. I think the owners would have wanted that more, but when really Adam Silver, or you know, the league did not say, we need to have cap smoothing, and I think that, I'm really happy that everybody realizes that was a mistake last time, so they got it this time. That's that was the biggest one worry for me, um, because I just think I also think in a, at this time the league the kind of salaries that they would make uh, I think would be weird, uh, weird, weird publicity too. Um, so I'm really glad they're cap smoothing. Yeah, let's talk about two updates that could very well affect the Grizzlies in the near term. The first has to do with postseason awards and with the. With load management becoming a hot topic around the league, and there, especially with this new media rights deal that's going to be negotiated soon, there there was a premium from the owners put on more availability for the players, and I um, I would guess that there are a couple of other CBA updates that were used in in a trade per se to maybe get some of these baseline. requirements set but the postseason awards to be eligible for these you will starting next season have to play 
at least 65 games in the regular season. And they have put in the caveat with some conditions. So I'm interested to see with what those conditions will be to where a player, let's say, might not have to reach the 65-game mark. But for all intents and purposes, let's just operate with that. In addition, for all NBA teams, starting in 23-24, they will be positionless. This is something that people have been calling for for a while because as it currently stands, the all three all-NBA teams are comprised of two guards, two forwards, and a center. And so this this positionless update allows for you to, let's say, try and get the best 15 players in a season on these teams rather than, let's say, you know, the third best center this year, arguably, is, you know, Bam Adebayo or DeMontis Sabonis. I don't think anybody's putting those two players in their top 15 in the league for example. So, and with the John Morant's contract, for example, being uh, dependent upon making one of these All-NBA teams to have a significant increase, then this All-NBA update has a lot of ramifications moving forward for contracts. So what do you think about the game minimum for these awards as well as the uh, positionlessness of the All-NBA teams? Yeah, I mean, I I don't know. I'm... I'm I'm torn. I, I think I do want to see what the like the exceptions or the conditions are that that are going to come out. Um, <laughs> I do, you know. I mean, I think that a lot of media people already kind of had sort of. I know I know like Bill Simmons famously talks about two thirds, like fifty five, fifty six games is his cutoff for awards. Um, I mean, I think with sixty five, I mean it does mean that you do have like a, like even like a Jaron who's had an unbelievable year missing so many games early on. Uh, you know, that would put him in major jeopardy for an award, you know, if a similar player had that. So I, it's interesting to me. I mean, I'm, I always wonder about the, you know, the sort of the things we don't think about, which is, is this going to affect how players see surgeries and injuries and when they're getting them and, and a lot of things like that uh, if, if money is wrapped up in these, in these minimums. So that, that, that kind of throws out there. I mean, for my biggest thing is I still always think I, I get the load management. I mean, I'm always thought that that's one of the most overrated narratives and uh, because media people are complaining all the time about it, but I feel like they're not the ones buying tickets to go see a star and then that star sitting. So I've always kind of been thrown. I get that people are upset about it. I also think there's like two or three teams that do it more than everybody else, but um, because I think that usually it's not load management, it's injuries. People don't want to, like, you know, and I, I, as a Grizzlies fan, I don't want a player playing on an injury for a regular season game if, if they can rest one game and be better. I don't know. So, like, I'm always torn on this, the minimum thing. But I do think it's going to be weird when you have, like, what we have now, which is you're going to have these players playing. Like, are we going to have players playing one minute at the beginning of a game and then sitting the rest of the game? to get their 65 games in at the end of the year. And that, that could be a bad look. So there's, there's some things that I'm a little, still a little iffy on. Um, you know, I don't know what you think about it uh, in that sense. And then, uh, you know, to go that positionless, I don't, I'm, I'm also, see, I'm, I feel like I'm going to be, I'm the old man in the podcast today. I'm, I'm a little being old man about this because I do think the all NBA is one of the rare, uh, is one of the, the few things that you can look and really feel like a snapshot of the season. 
and a snapshot of what this year meant, which is why, like, for instance, I'm very angry that, like, if Luka does not make the play-in game, like, if Luka, if the Mavs finish 11th, like, I think that is an automatic disqualification from All-NBA. I don't think you should ever make an All-NBA team, especially now with 10 teams making postseason. You should never make it. That, that would be me. I'm, like, being the old curmudgeon here. And, and so, for me, the fact that it would be positionless is a little weird because I feel like uh, the fun conversations are Jokic and Bede for center uh, and first team and things like that. So, I'm a little sad about that. I think it's probably fair, ultimately. Um because we are more, you know, it seems like there's, uh, in a weird way, though at the very top we have some great centers. We're a very guard-dominated league right now, and so that's probably a little more fair, you know. And, and But it is, you know, it's funny because people, you you brought up Demonis Savonis, Bam. Like, these are guys who really make, and honestly, our own Mark Gasol, uh, honestly, you know, made all NBA teams because of the position they played. And so, I, so in that sense... Maybe it is fair, but I don't know. I, I, this is one of those. I don't know if I like the change or not. Yeah, no, that, that's fair. And I just did uh, uh, some googling in the background. I was looking up how many back to backs NBA teams play on average in a season, and this year the Clippers played the most with fifteen. And so the the average is between thirteen and fifteen sets of back to backs, and the sixty five minimum game. If you do the math, that's 17 games that you can miss. And so theoretically, you could miss every single one of the back-to-backs, at least one leg of them, plus a couple more games. And so does that affect the load management conversation? Does this solve the load management, quote-unquote, issue that we have? Who's to say? Because you can still avoid all of the games that doctors think can, you know, affect these things the most. And so we'll see. And then the the positionless, I don't. I would say more often than not, I am more frustrated with the fact that there are contracts tied to an All NBA team, which then puts media in a very weird position. Um, especially, let's say you know media that that uh, covers a home team and your team has a player who depends on the all NBA for a certain amount of, of cash to be added to the contract. So that that's the bigger problem with all NBA. And I think I don't exactly have the perfect solution for that. Um, except to say, maybe we can find a different way for players to meet the incentives necessary to, to let's say be eligible for the, the super max instead of all NBA. And you, I do trust overall that media is probably a good objective entity to vote on these things, but I just don't, I don't love the tying in with contracts more than I have a, a strong opinion on the positionless yeah. element of it. Yeah, it is funny, you know, because it used to be anonymous, then they made it to where now you can see who votes. And so I don't know uh, with some of these changes if they should consider going back to anonymous again. Um, you know, there's obviously, again, like you said, there's positives and negatives of both sides. Um, but, but for me, the positionless thing, I still, for, uh, like, I get why the players wanted it because, because, uh, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about the 450 NBA players and I'm thinking there's like 60 centers that are like very upset right now, but, uh, but you know, there's a lot more guards and wings, so I can see why players would be behind it, but it does make me a little sad just because I think it is shifting the, 
you know, I just it's weird. It would be weird to me if I saw a second team All NBA and it's five guards because that's like not a team. I don't know. I'm I'm a weirdo that way, but no, whatever. It, it does I'll, take I'm sure away I'll adjust to it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if if these three teams had to like compete against each other and play in, in a tournament, you know, that'd be different. But yeah. um, it. It's it's a snapshot, and I think it's one of those things that we would get used to after a, f- a couple of years of doing it, and it would normalize. Um, but yeah. we'll see. I don't, I don't actually know if the whole All-NBA contract connection with the media is within the CBA. I assume that it is, because that seems like a big enough deal to have in there. Therefore, I don't know if that's just locked in for the next seven years and we have to wait to to revisit that. But I'd have to do some further research on it to yeah. see if that's even has if they have the power to change that within the CBA, even if it's already yeah. been voted on. So, yeah. I know, um, and I guess and I guess now we do get a pure top five players in the NBA, top ten players in the NBA. Totally. So, so that that'll make hopefully you know that that'll continue good conversations. Okay, I'm gonna cover the last big ticket item, and then after that. Maybe each of us can pick one other kind of nerdy one that we we thought was interesting, and that, that'll close out the pod. the 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 big ticket item what is the in season tournament that's going to start as early as next season. And so the theory here is they're not going to be adding any additional games to the regular season, except for the championship game in this in season tournament. So um, essentially, they're this is another incentive to try to encourage more participation throughout the regular season and also in providing a little bit more intrigue. Since the season is very long, they're providing some intrigue about halfway through. And so um, there will teams will get an 80-game schedule at the beginning of the season. And then two of the games will be just labeled TBD because it'll be dependent upon how the the uh, the in season tournament goes, but you'll you'll play about four, I think was the number of of these regular season games, which are going to be labeled as you know tournament games, and then depending on the records, the final eight teams are going to take part in a single elimination tournament. Uh, after those, I guess you could say like qualifier games are played, then they're going to have a final four event at a, a neutral site, and Vegas has been floated out as this neutral site. And then for the teams that make the finals, they will play an extra game. So those teams will play 83 games in a regular season. The winning players will receive 500K each. That's the number that Shams reported. And so there is a financial incentive. And also coaches receive something as well. Um, what, did you, what do you think about this in-season tournament? Do you think it's just kind of a, a dumb gimmick? Or do you, do, you value, uh, do you value if the Grizzlies were to, let's say, win this thing are you going to be buying the t-shirt are you going to be um you know attending the parade yeah so i'm i'm cool with it i i leave i'm i'm somebody who has an open mind to it and then uh will say it's terrible if it's terrible um but like i was some i felt like you know i was open to the this play-in game and i think overall i think the play-in's been a positive at least especially like right now for this for the end of the regular season i think those games are fun i mean like it makes seven through ten seed games fun, and uh, so I'm I'm open to this possibility. I you know I do uh, after the NBA probably my second favorite uh, thing to watch is English Premier League, you know, and they have an in season tournament. They actually have a trophy. The biggest honestly the biggest deal is just winning the regular season 
in your league. Uh, and then they also have a Champions League that kind of goes on during the season. So kind of both the FA Cup and the, the Champions League, Euro, Europa League. It's kind of like trying to steal a little bit of that. And I just think – I think it's fun. I think teams will enjoy it. I think anything getting people to watch basketball kind of in the midst of football and uh, before you know February – um, if that's the case, then I think that's a good thing. Like I, you know, so I'm, I'm not sure when I think, I think it's going to be earlier in the season. I'm not sure, but I think it's a good thing. I think it's fun and we'll see how it goes. And, you know, if, if it stinks, we can say so when it happens, but I want to be an open-minded about it. Yeah. I think the tone will be set from the top. I think your, your, your big name players are going to have to buy in for this to be a success. I think it's important that there is a financial reward for the, the winning team, because if you look at the amount, I mean, half a million dollars is a significant amount of money for anyone, number one, but for these especially, let's say, like lower-level players, your, your end-of-the-bench guys, it could be a cool way to, to for a, uh, let's say, your higher-paid players, assuming those are your best players, to win something for their teammates. And I think you could see some cool... Some cool scenarios there, depending on who gets into the finals. I also think this could this could help maybe with some some rivalries down the line. Like think of a a marquee Warriors Grizzlies final in the in season tournament, and I'm sure if the Grizzlies were to win that, the Warriors would say it's not a real ring, and there would be some some great Twitter back and forth about that. It would just further feed the fire. So I. I think there there are scenarios in which this works out. I do think it's going to take a leap of faith and a leap of buy-in from from the top guys, especially I would say like the younger half because the older half of players, I could see them maybe sitting out and saying this is a young man's game. Uh, but I would say you know Jaw is in this group of players I think could could heavily influence how this gets. Uh, you know, I think it, and I think it gives sort of. Um, I think for some teams that that like, especially teams that were successful the season before and might want to check out earlier, this gives them some incentive. Uh, and like, honestly, I mean, who knows? I mean, the you know the the goal I think would be in fifteen twenty years when you're having people write book of basketball and look at over the dynasties. I mean, people would say, oh well, you know, yeah, the Warriors won three in a row, but. Uh, but they all. But the big thing was they they always won the in season tournament too. Like they were just a dominant team, uh, those title wins and so, or something like that to the effect of where it was just it's just a way to kind of add some more greatness, add some more trophies, add to the legacy talk um, and the arguments. You know that. But of course we have to get there. It's going to take a while. But I, I could see that being the case. You know, in ten fifteen years, us looking back and it being a way to judge. You know, uh, title teams. And, and like whether they had, you know, because I've always said, I think a title team that has an awesome regular season matters too. And, uh, and I, I, it would be great if you have like, oh, this team won the, won the title, but they also had the best regular season record. They also won the in-season tournament. Um, I just think, I, I would hope that that's where it goes. Yeah, I agree. It, it, it could also be a good data point for, you know, what's this, what's the next team up? You know, they, they won, they won the in-season tournament and then, you know, year year later they're in the finals. You know, you can kind of see that as a precursor. Um, so yeah, it'd be fun. Be a fun. It'd be a fun trip to make too. If if the Grizzlies yeah. ever get to the final four, take a quick quick Allegiant flight to Vegas. You know, 
Um, okay, to close out the podcraft, we're each going to pick one more from this list. I mean, there's like 10 other things here that we I, could talk I'm, about, which I'm, we're not going to, but pick one more. I'm already going to cheat, I know. So I'm going to cheat if I can and do kind of a grab bag because it's not going to be super long. But but what I see is uh, a theme with a couple things, which is adding a third two-way player. And like we said, we have, we've had two. Uh, making second-round picks – uh, through this weird, we won't get into the details, but sort of making second round picks potentially more important. I think uh, maybe the, the the NBA was alarmed by the the amount of second round picks that were flying at the trade deadline, uh, but it also makes it easier if you're if you have a second round pick to kind of sign them and keep them. And then also the four year. So I'm probably stealing one of yours, but the the being able to give a non max rookie extension. Uh, up to five years and not just four. I feel like all three of those things are great because combined, they're saying we want that. That is more emphasizing we like homegrown teams. We like people who we're going to reward teams that draft well, that keep to keep their players um, to make that easy. And I think that's great for the Grizzlies because what we've shown is that we are very good at that. We are very good. Uh, you know, I think the one thing that's out is if we can, uh, obviously jaw was pretty obvious, but if we can, you know, with the Zaire pick, that's still a little out, uh, the Ravia pick that may be potentially high end talent or top picks are still a little out for us. But one thing that we've shown is, you know, 20 through 60 and even, and even picking up undrafted players, the Grizzlies are very good. And I think those, all those, uh, things, uh, bode very well, this new CBA rewards, uh, rewards front offices who are good at that. So that's exciting to me. Yeah, and this directly applies to a guy like Desmond Bain, who will be uh, negotiating an extension this summer, yeah. and we could offer him now five years under the CBA. So um, he'll be the first player eligible for under this new CBA for the extension. So that could be, yeah. especially if we can somehow negotiate an, a non-max deal with Bain, I'd love to lock it in for as many years as possible, which I doubt yes. his agents would uh, would recommend that to him. But if the Grizzlies can somehow swing it, that would be awesome. Yeah. Um, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll pick just a couple very briefly. Since All right, you I stole like three five. good ones. Yeah. Um, I would say that the upper limits on veteran extensions increasing from 140% uh, increasing to 140% from 120%. That would be huge for, um, let's say, the next contract for a couple of our guys. And so, for instance, like Jaron, this this is a big deal for him, um, which he's closer to the max than uh, some guys. But, for instance, like Jalen Brown is the poster child for this specific uh, rule because it's, it's basically saying um, – these teams that have drafted these players and have now have them under contract, if they want to extend them, they can now give them even more to incentivize them to stay um, because they used to be capped at 120% of whatever their highest um, salary uh, or highest yearly salary was. And now that's a big increase for, for, and that could uh, basically keep some free agents off the market and have them, uh, more likely to re-sign with their current team. So that's that's one thing. But the the really interesting one to me is is now players are going to be allowed to invest in NBA or WNBA teams. Um, it has to be done through the NBA Players Association's private equity firm, 
So that's kind of that's kind of intriguing. Uh, this is probably going to be known as the LeBron James rule because my assumption is in probably less than a year, maybe a little bit more, we're going to hear about a team in Vegas and we're going to hear that LeBron, even though he's still playing, is going to be a heavy investor in uh, in the Vegas team. And so um, cool, cool opportunity for, let's just say, like in 15 years, Jaron or Ja are still playing for the Grizzlies. We can basically build in some equity uh, of the team to to their contracts or just allow them to invest outright if they would like to through this specific equity firm. So kind of a cool way to to uh, to see players really get involved on on some of the ownership side, even if it's going to be a smaller stake than you know, would be, I mean, I, I mean, it really is. I mean, just talking through it, I mean, I hadn't thought about, I mean, but I mean, it is, it, this it seems like an anti-player empowerment CBA in the sense of it's giving the players a lot of empowerment, uh, on the teams they're in, but it does seem to really, really push for homegrown, stay with your teams, uh, guys, uh, guys stick, you know, having more of the Dirks, the Kobe's, uh, the Dwayne Wades of people who really you associate with one team for a really long time. Um, so, yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be cool to see the rest of the information come out. That hopefully gave you a broad overview of what um, a bunch of people are gonna be talking through as we look ahead. I think it's a perfect time for the NBA to get this done before the playoffs really start because there can be this extra layer of security as they move forward, especially when they're negotiating what is their highest uh, revenue generating channel. And that is their, their TV rights. And we've also covered how that landscape is changing um, right before our eyes with the regional sports network piece of the pie is going to be divvied out different ways. So it'll be very intriguing to see, but um, looking ahead to the rest of the year, we are going to, be back with you to preview the playoffs and we will hopefully be in the two seed and so we'll have a little bit of a couple of days to wait and see who wins the play-in round for the seven and eight seeds I've knock on wood there uh, but we're going to be back with you to, to give a mega preview of the playoffs as well as maybe review where we are with some of our preseason predictions see how we ended up and uh, looking ahead so this has been a fun episode. Thank you for joining us for the final weekend update of the 22-23 season. For your host, John Kraft, Will Walker, we are out, and we will see you next season.